Welcome to Current Affairs Taiwan. Mike, what have we got on the show today? What have we got on the show today? We've got a great show. The KMT chairmanship election is over, and we have analysis of who won and what will happen with cross-strait relations and maybe what directions the KMT will go in. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we talk about a recent poll showing that Taiwanese identity has spiked. And finally, we end with some weird shenanigans involving Yoshi Kun and the murder of Lin Yixiong's family. Mm -hmm. And you've got a blurb for us. Yeah, I'd just like to remind everybody that now we have a daily show, except for Tuesdays, where uh, I introduce the news of the day. It's a short show, 12 minutes is the target time. And what it's there for is to get people sort of up to speed on what's going on day to day. And that helps make sure that when we get to Current Affairs Taiwan, you know what's been going on in the week, and then we go into some deep analysis. All right. Hi. Welcome to another edition of Current Affairs Taiwan. I'm Michael Turton, and this is my partner in crime, Donovan Smith. All right. How about if I kick off with our sponsor? This show is sponsored by Tainan May Jam. This year is the 20th anniversary of this free all-original music festival. This year it is May 2nd and 3rd at checkmayjam.com or Tainan May Jam on Facebook. So the dates have changed a little bit uh, to 2nd and 3rd. So, But check out the website and the Facebook for more information. Okay, so the biggest news this week was the KMT chairmanship election, the by-election. Mm -hmm. Whoever has this, uh, whoever wins, whoever won this was the chairman for one year until there's another election. And that chairman is going to be chairman of the party, certainly during the 2022 local elections and probably during the 2024. Depending on how presidential the presidential election. Yeah. 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 So, so who won that election? <laughs> Johnny Chang, Jiang Jichen. Where's Jiang Jichen from? He's from Fengyuan. He's a local Taichung. He's from the Red Faction. Uh-huh. Is uh, he's Taiwanese? He his family's been here for a few hundred years. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, is, who's he married to? His his wife is uh, also a political connection. Uh, we we looked into this a little bit here, and so we're trying to figure out because his his ancestry seems to be Hakka, right? But there's not much out there that says specifically that he is, and he referred to being married to a Hakka in one article, right? So it's a little bit unclear. But a lot of Taiwanese who came over hundreds of years ago, sometimes they married into different families. Right. And so he, he himself may not be terribly clear. Yeah. But he's originally from Guangdong province, uh, his family, right. his ancestor. And then they lived in Miaoli and Zhuolan and basically all, all these yeah, all all Hakka Hakka places. places. Yeah. yeah. And but his wife's father is uh he was uh, he was a Taipei he was Taipei. He was a Taichung county councillor mm -hmm. and a legislator. So he's got political connections behind him with the red faction, and and also he married into a political family. Yes. Do you? Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, newspaper articles now saying that that Mr. Jiang is going to be a reformer. Mm -hmm. What's your take on this? <laughs> well, um, okay. Um, it, it's it, I think that he wants to reform the party. That's the sense I get. Uh huh. I don't know how much he can do. Uh, he's caught between a lot of rocks and hard places. Um, for example, right now the party is hemorrhaging cash. It's something like they have one point six uh, was it one point six billion or something in pension pension outflows every month. Wow! And so they're losing they're losing massive amounts of cash. 
and they have uh, party local party heads for mm-hmm. already they've had uh, a couple of them have left uh, one from Elan another one from Taichung so he's got problems coming right out of the gate right they left because as, as the guy from Elan put it he said I just can't afford this because I'm having to pay stuff out of my own pocket so the party has massive financial problems the the youth support for the party is very low but he is younger he and now he's 48 he's 48 so he's the youngest KMT party chair since Chiang Kai-shek who became <laughs> the president at that time they had a different title of the KMT at, at age 39 39 yeah what was i doing at 39 I wasn't running a country. No, no, or a, a political party, party or uh, le- leading an army. You had you had looked up that Zhang had been uh, he had he had been with the Taiwan Institute for Economic Research, a couple of positions, yeah. and then he was taught teaching at Suzhou University. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't have the resume of someone who's a visionary or entrepreneur or is going to make big changes or can get people on board with him to make big changes. He's a very typical. KMT politician, right? Mm-hmm. They park him in the university until they need him, and then they bring them out. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you, as you said in your piece at Ketagalan Media. You know, not only there's just no taste for radical reform inside the KMT, and he himself does not seem to be that much of a reformer. Now the media was hinting that he's going to maybe change the 1992 consensus, maybe drop it. You know, and uh, we'll see. But I guess uh, both Global Times and People's Daily were expressing unhappiness about this. Just the Global Times. I didn't see anything on People's Daily. Oh, People's Daily, huh? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, of course, as we know, if it's Global Times, it's a trial balloon. If it's People's Daily, it's official policy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so there, I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things I found about this election. Yeah. Um, for example, the the number of people who were eligible to vote dropped drastically. Right. From 450 some odd thousand to like 340 or something like that. So that's a pretty precipitous drop. The turnout was also low compared to the last election. But this is a by-election and we've got the virus. Right. So I'm not too surprised about that. Uh, Another thing that that I found really interesting was that Johnny Chang won convincingly. Yeah, he beat, he crushed how long? Yes, he crushed him. And so what that, uh, to me at least, says is that the KMT membership genuinely feels afraid. They've lost two national elections in landslides. And that means that a lot of the party membership has woken up. Another thing is one one interesting article that I read uh, in local media, I think it was UDN. Uh And it was saying that basically Chang won on the non-Huang Fuxing voters. Basically, everybody but the Huang Fuxing voted for him. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not a mainlander. He's, Ta- he's Taiwanese. He's a factional politician. He's younger. He's from Taichung, not Taipei, where they usually come from. And, and so he's talking about reform. And he wants to have this collective leadership is what he's talking about, an 11-member group which will have local government heads, you know, legislative that is actually leaders. that's radical, actually. Yeah, because the KMT has never permitted the local governments or local factions to have any power. Yeah, so that's a big deal. So I think they understand at least a lot of the party membership now gets it. They need to localize, and so you know. But the question is, if they want to get younger voters, they're going to have to uh, come up with policies that 
are going to appeal. And he's already got right out of the gate, he's got some serious problems. He has to help shore up Han Guoyu in Kaohsiung for right. the recall election. So the Kaohsiung mayor, there's a recall vote coming up. He's got to try and help him out. He's got the party finances. The youth membership of the party is basically 3% of the party membership is under 40 um, versus 34% of the electorate. So he's got a huge task and he's got one year. But he's got one thing that may help him right out of the gate is the PRC. Yeah. The PRC was saying today all kinds of stuff. Uh, he's going to bring the party closer to the United States. Yeah. And Global Times was saying that, uh, how did they put it? Here, I've got it right here. Well, it's the first time since 2005 that the PRC has not sent congratulations yeah. to the incoming KMT chair. Yes. The CCP said, a political party with aspirations should stick to its value. It is a self-deceiving illusion that tossing the 1992 consensus can mean competing with the DPP for votes. So, mm -hmm. and then it said basically that the KMT is going to break trust with the CPP if it gives up the 1992 consensus, which the CPP, CCP has never uh, supported, right? It's always treated the 1992 consensus as the KMT saying, there's one China and it's China and Taiwan is part of China. There's no two interpretations. You know, the 1992 consensus, according to the KMT, says that's one China but with different interpretations. And sadly, many scholars sent that around and media workers sent that around even long after it had been shown that the CCP had never supported that codicil mm -hmm. about the two, uh, the two interpretations. So now, so basically what they've done is they've, uh, they've we were, we've talked about this on the show before with Ko Wenja, who's the head of the, the, the Taiwan People's Party, the mayor of Taipei, and his search for a space between the KMT and DPP positions, right? But the CCP has now said with this, you can't abandon the 1992 consensus, which is which says, according to the, the PRC, that Taiwan is part of China and there's only one China, and the KMT's interpretation is nonsense. You can't abandon this. You have to stick to it, which means there is no space outside the pro-Taiwan space. Mm -hmm. Any space that's not pro-Taiwan is pro-PRC. So this, this is why, of course, Ko Wenja a few weeks ago and the TPP came out with their China policy, which basically was a mirror of the DPP's policy. It's either that or China. And there's no place where you can find a middle ground. There's no flexibility in the PRC position. So if Johnny Cheng does this, uh, if he if he actually gets rid of the, the 1992 consensus, which I still can't believe they won't bring back in some other form, because that's what they always do, it's going to make the KMT irrelevant. Several things could happen. You were reading a PRC Taiwan expert, read information warfare expert. Mm -hmm. what, did, what was he saying? Um, I can't remember. There's a whole bunch of quotes. Um, but one yeah. that, was very, I thought was, that I thought was very interesting uh -huh. was they, they, essentially the article was going on uh, saying that the KMT is risking making itself irrelevant yes. in dealing with the PRC. And there was one quote, I'm not sure if this is the one you're referring to, but where it, it said basically the, 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 the upcoming inauguration of Tsai Ing-wen may be more important than the KMT chairman's position. Right. Which is a very interesting thing to right, say. Right, right, So they may be signaling to the DPP, we might be willing to talk 
and we'll dump the KMT. No, Global Times is trial balloons. Right. So, you know, they may be hinting at the DPP. Maybe we can maybe we can work something out. Maybe they finally figured out that the DPP is is not going anywhere. Maybe yeah, that's probably it's closer to the latter, I would say. Yeah. They, they're going they're realizing they're going to have to deal with the DPP if they want to deal with Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the DPP is not going anywhere. Hopefully, please. <laughs> <laughs> I can add a couple of things is that I, I wrote a piece in Ketagala and Media which I recirculated recently. Um, I wrote it the beginning of February. Uh, but I talked about the challenges that the KMT has with dealing with the 92 consensus. And in, in the article, I said they'll probably try, because the, the 92 consensus is so widely unpopular. Yeah. And at the beginning of uh, 2018, Xi Jinping explicitly tied it to one country, two systems, which the even the KMT was outraged by that. So it was, so they basically made it a toxic formula. Right. So there's no way right now that the KMT can viably keep going and still get votes. So they're caught between getting votes on the one hand. Yeah. The PR, good relations with the PRC on the other hand. And it gets worse because, so if they have one, they don't really have the other. Right. And it gets worse because their financial situation is so dire. If they reject the 92C and the PRC sticks to their guns on this, this means that they, they lose support of a lot of the Taishang, which are the Taiwanese-based, uh, Taiwanese-China-based uh, business people. Interesting observation. Who are big donors to the KMT. So if the KMT wants to solve its financial problems, the easiest way to do it would be to get money from the Taishang, who are often get government subsidies and government contracts from the People's Republic oh, of China. For example, Guo Taiming, Terry Guo. Yes. Who saved the party a couple years ago. Yes, and Wu Duni managed to uh, offend him. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> um, so they, they've got, so they're caught between these different rocks and hard places. So my suspicion is what I wrote in the article is that they'll probably try to with basically a alternative formula to the 92 alluded to yeah i think that's we're just gonna see that's what they always do they just repackage it in new but it'll be the same thing but the thing is is that what kind of formula can they come up with the prc's already basically ruled out anything other than the 92 consensus which they've tied to systems and basically the public here is going to see through anything that doesn't defend taiwan sovereignty right so they're they're going to have to twist themselves up like a to try and come up with some kind of formula that's going to appeal to both sides. <laughs> and I don't see, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing they're going to float some things like, you know, we're cousins, you know, family on the both sides of the straits or, you know, the new dream for cross-strait relations, <laughs> which, you know, would make, would make the PRC happy because it kind of referenced Xi Jinping's Chinese dream. Right. But it's vague and, you know... But I don't, you know, they're going to have to to make it up, appeal to both sides. I don't see how they can come up with a formula that'll work <laughs> that everybody will accept unless the PRC budges. But it won't. It's not going to budge. And I, and I think that budging is basically, that not budging is a way of boxing Taiwan in. Mm-hmm. It's boxing everyone in Taiwan in so that the only position left is the pro-Taiwan position. And then the PRC can say to its own people, look, 
we can't save the situation short of military force. We have to invade. Mm -hmm. And I think the long-term strategy here is to create the conditions to legitimate a PRC invasion for the domestic audience. Yeah, I mean, the anti-succession law, which they passed in 2005, so yeah. then they say, we legally have to. Meanwhile, it's the CCP, Chinese Communist Party, proposed a law, made the law, so it makes them look like they have to do this because they have to obey the law, you see. Oh. Um, but yeah, this is a topic that you, I think you were the first one to write about this. Possibly, but the important thing is... It's always it's always important to consider when you think about the PRC's relations with Taiwan, consider the domestic audience in China and how they're being manipulated by all this stuff. So we can expect a year of some of watching the KMT try to turn its policies into cute little origami animals. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they're going the to be looking for the to the Kama Sutra for a new cross strait formula. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> <laughs> All right, on that, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back. So we're going to shift to a new topic, which was a poll that came out, what, three weeks ago? Something like that, yeah. And it said, what did it say about the identification of Taiwanese in Taiwan? Taiwan identity? Well, if the poll is reliable... It <laughs> <laughs> if it's reliable, um, it, it would be actually mark a sea change. Now, it did say that essentially that people self-identifying as Taiwanese only versus Chinese or Chinese and Taiwanese had risen to 83.2%, where in previous polling by the same organization, I believe, yeah. it was it had, the last high that it had reached was 70%. Now, it went on that Michael Yeo, who is the head, head of, of the, the Taiwan Public Opinion Foundation. Yeah. He said he thought it was because of the coronavirus. Right. He said in spite of Xi Jinping's, you know, the one country, two systems, tying that to the 92 consensus. Yeah. All the things that went on through the election, that didn't, it moved it up only a little bit. But the response of, of the PRC to the coronavirus and the way it's treated Taiwan, he thought that that was the reason why it had jumped up over 10 points. However, it turns out mm -hmm. there are some problems with the poll wording. Mm. So uh, we're calling offhand because I can't find the original piece now, but uh, he had, one of the questions he'd asked about identity was, usually they ask, are you Taiwanese, Chinese, or both, or something like that. But one of the questions he'd asked was, are you Taiwanese or other? So then he, re I guess he reinterpreted, that, well, I don't actually know what he did, so I'm not going to say anything. But the point is, it doesn't, it has a non-standard question. And so this sudden leap in the Taiwan identity is probably a mirage. But, you know, who knows? Maybe coronavirus is having its effect. WHO, Hong Kong, all these mm -hmm. things. Who knows? But let's recall also that he's got a, a history of framing his polls as is remember he supported Lai Chinda during the DPP primary oh yeah he hates Tsai Ing-wen mm -hmm. so even in this poll he doesn't say well it's Tsai Ing-wen he says it's coronavirus yes he, he wouldn't <laughs> he's not gonna say anything like that yeah so <laughs> it, the poll also showed that the KMT support was much lower than it had been that it had come back down to I think it was under 20 percent again well, we'll have to wait until the next NCCU tracking poll comes out to see yeah. what their data says. A bit more reliable, yeah. It's, well, it's a bit more 
what's the word I want? Uh, stable. Stable, yeah. Consistent. It's been it's it's a they've asked consistent questions now for yeah. two decades. So mm-hmm. okay. So what else is going on in this great island of ours? Um well there's I, the... I got a circular I, I got a circular from uh, my my boss at the high school who was saying uh, we need to prepare because they might be shutting the schools down for two weeks. So everyone has to have two weeks of curriculum. Um there's not a whole lot going on. The Landis Hotel in Taichung shut down. Yeah. That's because of a, coronavirus. That yeah. was huge. And two huge old restaurants in Kaohsiung, famous mm-hmm. ones, also shut down. We're going to see more and more of this as the as tourism dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the Yoshi Quinn story. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yoshi Quinn, the terrible murderer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't he under arrest? <laughs> what is wrong with the NPA? <laughs> Uh, so this story is just weird. So Yoshi Quen, he's a former premier. DPP. DPP. He's originally from the Dongwai. He's yeah. one of the early, I think he was one of the founders of the DPP. Um, and he's now the legislative speaker. Right. So this guy is deep green. Yeah. So somebody sends him a threat on Facebook followed by a written letter. Oh, and so the the threat is, is is basically get out of Taiwan and demands that he accept responsibility for the murder of Lin Yishong's family, which is and and offers twenty thousand NT for for him to get a ticket to fly out of the country. Right. So the police arrest. Oh, sorry, they, they, they bring in this guy for questioning. Turns out he's an 88-year-old ex-veteran and lives in Taoyuan. So they question this guy, and I guess they didn't think he was a major threat. Now, he, and then this guy sends another letter and a receipt for uh, wiring 20,000 NT. So Yoshi Quinn comes out publicly slamming the police on this saying that this guy has connections to China, didn't specify what connections to China, yeah, some so organization was backing him. We don't know what the organization is. And that the police weren't protecting him. I guess the police didn't think that an 88-year-old guy was much of a threat. When I'm 88, I'll be a threat. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm going to have one of those sword canes. Yeah, I think that, that's. <laughs> I'm but, lazy. I'll have a little gun in my cane. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so the, but I mean that he would be uh, that he's accusing him of. Now this is they. There was uh, according to this Taipei Times article, the 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 they said that the KMT controlled press. Recently listed Lin e, uh, listed Yoshi Quinn as the prime suspect in the murder of Lin Yishong's family, <laughs> which is bizarre beyond belief. <laughs> so, because Yo and Lin are old, are old veterans of the Dong Wai and the and the uh, independence movement. Mm-hmm. So, and Lin was a top aide to Yoshi Quinn. Quinn, and Lin, and not only that, but. When Lin's family was murdered, it was being guarded by the police. So the only people who got gotten who could have gotten in there to kill him were people who were connected to the police. Yeah, and the Transitional Justice Committee recently came out with some. Basically, they they basically said they think that the the security forces 
had something to do with it. Maybe it was, you know, gangsters acting on their behalf or whatever, but they think they have something to do with it, but there's too many files still classified. So President Tsai has ordered the NSB, the National Security Bureau, to unclassify documents. So there's still no proof of who did it, but there's ongoing movement on trying to find that out. I hope we do. They, yes. they need closure on that. Because it was a horrible, yeah, horrible. horrible. All right, folks. You uh, have a great week, and we'll see you back here with next week's show. This has been brought to you by the Taiwan Report. For more content like this, become our patron at report.tw. Speak for a little bit. I can speak for a little bit. I'm speaking now. It's for a little bit. And when I speak after this, it will also be for a little bit. I'm speaking. <laughs> speaking is good. It's better than silence. <laughs> Tell that to the Finns. Okay, so here's a bit of white paper for Sean. This is a bit of white paper. Because it's white, it's just hanging out in Asia. <laughs> That's white paper. This is our white paper proposal for reforming something or other. Eats bologna and mayonnaise sandwiches. It is so white. <laughs> this paper is so white that Ahab was hunting it. <laughs> and then we move to a discussion of Yoshi Quinn and the, and the survey and the poll, the TPOF poll. Yeah. So I think we need to reshoot this because we totally fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this one again. Yeah. <laughs>